Our confessional reading this afternoon is from Lord's Day 49, and that can be found on page 895 in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Lord's Day 49. What does the third petition mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will, for it alone is good. Help everyone to carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. And then in in connection with Lord's Day 49, let us also read together from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That is on page 1173. So we'll read the first 12 verses of chapter 4, and then we'll skip ahead to chapter 5, verse 12, and then read to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And then chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very, very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. 
Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And now may the God of peace himself himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thus far our reading for this afternoon. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, the first three petitions of the prayer that our Lord taught to his disciples form an intimately connected unity, such that the second one builds on the first petition, and the third petition builds upon the second. And the second petition is a big picture prayer. It is a prayer that God's reign that his, his kingship, which has already begun in Jesus Christ, would continue, so that his church would be gathered in, that men would be sent out into all the world to preach the gospel of salvation, until at the last day of Christ, his kingdom comes in all its fullness. That's the second petition, and the third petition, building upon it, your will be done. It narrows the focus of this request. It is no less important, no less diminished in scope. Rather, the third petition takes this high and lofty request that God's kingdom would come in the world, and it brings it right home. It says, Father, don't just bring everything out there in the world into subjection to Christ. But it says, bring me, bring my will also, and bring the will of all people into subjection to Christ. And so it is not just a laid-back request in which we say to God, just do what you're going to do and we'll be happy with that. No, it is a, a heartfelt plea that God would work in us a heart of obedience, a heart that loves his will and longs to do his will. And so with that, we look at the teaching of our catechism concerning this third petition under the following theme, Father, teach us to do your will. And as we consider this, we'll see three things. First of all, turning from our own will. Secondly, following your good will. And third, doing our work willingly. So for our first point, turning from our own will. A heart that longs to do God's will in the first place is a heart that rejects its own will. And so this is not a prayer that is offered lightly. To pray with sincerity that God's will be done by us puts a radical demand on our life. It means more than following God's will insofar as it agrees with our will. When we pray, we do not barter with God saying, Lord, I will obey you in this And in this, because 
I don't mind to do that anyways, but I think I will take the lead in this area over here. No, in order to do God's will, we must recognize that we cannot follow our own will at all. If God is to be the king of our hearts, so to speak, then we cannot be. For by nature, our will is a wicked king. Its reign in our hearts is cruel and corrupt. It leads us to wander away from God's law in rebellion against him. Just as our first parents, Adam and Eve, did in the Garden of Eden. And following their fall into sin, we see in Genesis 6 verse 5, where the Lord decided to blot mankind out from the face of the earth because he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And in Matthew 15, our Lord also gives us a description of the condition of the human heart. When he is describing in opposition to the Pharisees what it is that really makes a person unclean or defiled, he says in Matthew 15, 11, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of, a, out of his mouth that defiles a person. And then a few verses later, he says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So what Jesus is saying that what comes out of our hearts is every conceivable way of breaking God's law. Our hearts are naturally bent on evil. We could say it another way, our wills are not hardwired to do God's will. But we, we must also be clear that God does not want to destroy our will. He has created us with a will. He has created us with, as people that he wants to serve him and do his will, not as robots, but as people who love to do his will, who long to live before him in a living and an active obedience. And we, we see this expressed most beautifully in the Canons of Dort. In the third and fourth head of doctrine, Article 11, you can turn with, there with me if you like, to the Canons of Dort on page 908. In Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 11, we read about the Holy Spirit's work of conversion. There we read that when God carries out this good pleasure in his chosen ones, or works true conversion in them, he not only sees to it that the gospel is proclaimed to them outwardly, and he enlightens their minds and enlightens their minds powerfully by the Holy Spirit so that they might rightly understand and discern the things of the Spirit of God. But by the effective operation of that same regenerating spirit, he also penetrates into the inmost being of man. He opens the closed heart, softens the hard heart, circumcises the heart that is uncircumcised. He infuses new qualities into the will, making the dead will alive, the evil one good, 
the unwilling one willing and the stubborn one compliant. He activates and strengthens the will so that like a good tree, it may be able to, enabled to produce the fruits of good deeds. In a similar way, speaking of regeneration, the, the following article, Article 12, says that not only is our will acted upon and activated by the Holy Spirit, but being activated, the will, our will also acts. And so we see that denying our own will does not mean that our will is destroyed. Rather, we see that through daily conversion, repentance, the Holy Spirit, he shapes and molds and transforms our wills so that we desire wholeheartedly to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And so this petition, then your will be done, it is a prayer for sanctification. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, Paul says to the believers there, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he goes on to describe what this is like. To abstain from sexual immorality, to control your own body, to have control over the passionate lusts of the flesh. And Paul is speaking here, obviously, primarily of sexual sin, but the, the principle is true for all sinful desires. Sanctification involves, involves abstaining from acting on evil desires, controlling our own body and bringing it under submission and denying passionate lusts. But it's not so easy, is it? It's not so easy when some sensual images flash across your phone screen to quell the storms of lust in your heart. It's not so easy to count others as more significant than yourself when pride rears its ugly head. It's not so easy to hold back sharp and biting remarks when frustration and anger just builds up inside like a pressure cooker in our hearts. It's not so easy. In fact, it's impossible. And yet we simply cannot forego Paul's exhortation in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 to deny our own will. For he says in verse 8, whoever disregards this disregards not man. But God. But this is the key. Not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You see, we have this glorious promise that we are called to deny our own will. We are called to do this impossible task, this task that would be impossible in our own strength, but God promises to us that he will give his Holy Spirit to us. In Luke 11, after Jesus had taught his disciples this very Lord's Prayer, he says to them, and I, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing, ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. So brothers 
and sisters, pray to your Father in heaven. Pray that he will give his Holy Spirit to you so that his Spirit would work in your heart to deny your own will. And he will most certainly grant your request. We have that assurance from the mouth of the Lord Jesus himself. So do not rely on your own strength, your own mental fortitude to overcome that sin and that temptation, the own power of the power of your own will to deny yourself. For one of two things will be certain will certainly happen. You will either fail miserably or you will fail self-righteously. Pray to God and ask him. He is a good father, and he will give his spirit to you. And if we pray to God for his spirit to help us deny our own will, we also recognize that this doesn't right away make obedience easy, does it? We can all see that in our own lives Just think, for example, by way of illustration, many of you have young children at home. For some kids, it is a constant battle to get them to eat their food. And if you know what this is like, what it's like to have a battle of wills at at mealtimes in your house, you'll know something of what the catechism is getting at when it says, without any backtalk, obey your will. Perhaps your child will acquiesce. They will deny their own will, so to speak, and eat their food in the end. But only through a long and drawn out affair of sighs and groans and tears and and whining. But what a picture of our own obedience. It's not just a picture of our children's obedience. It's also a picture of our own obedience, how it so often looks. How half-hearted we often are in obeying God's will. How often we backtalk and only give God grudging obedience. And so we will consider that in our second point this afternoon under following your goodwill. We know that the picture described just a moment ago isn't really obedience though, don't we? Obedience is not just a turning away from your own will. It also involves an active turning towards God's will. As Lord's Day 33 says, our sanctification is not just about denying our old nature. It is not just the denying of our sinful wills, but it is also the rising to life of the new self, which is a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and a delight to live according to the will of God by doing every kind of good work. A delight. A love and a delight to live according to the will of God. A hearty and willing disposition to serve God and to live in obedience before him. This is the delight that the psalmists sing about so often. One says of the commandments of the Lord in Psalm 19, verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And in Psalm 40, verse 8, the Spirit of Christ says, I delight to do your will, 
Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. This, is, this was the delight of Jesus in his earthly ministry. He tells his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Christ stands before us as an example of one who delighted to do the Father's will. To obey his Father and to walk and to live in perfect obedience before him. His active obedience to the law of God has now been imputed to us. It means it is counted as our obedience. The perfect obedience of Christ, the righteousness of Christ during all the time that he lived on earth is counted as ours by faith. We are counted righteous before God. So let us praise the Lord for this marvelous gift that we who are so often disobedient are counted as obedient children. Christ's delight to do his Father's will also meant that by his obedience, he was qualified to take the penalty for sin as the sacrificial lamb in our place. But more than that, he did so willingly and with delight. He delighted to fulfill what was spoken of in the prophets. For example, in Isaiah 53, where the Spirit says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Christ's obedience led him to be nailed upon a Roman cross and to be sacrificed for sin once and never again. In Hebrews 10, in speaking of Christ's once-for-all sacrifice, it quotes Christ as speaking the words of Psalm 40, which we just heard. In chapter 10, verse 7, Christ says, quoting Psalm 40, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And then down a few verses, the author of Hebrews, he elaborates, And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, brothers and sisters, if we bring this all together for a moment, in Christ delighting in his Father's will, he not only lived a life of perfect obedience to it in our place, but he also went to the cross. He offered up his body in order to sanctify us, to make us holy, to cleanse us from our sin. For as Hebrews 10 verse 14 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then in the next three verses it says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. What a glorious gospel promise that we have in the new covenant, beloved, that God would put 
his law in our hearts and in our minds that he would inscribe them on our hearts and minds. What, what depth this adds to our prayers when we bring to God this third petition, your will be done. We pray, Father, transform my heart and mind to know your good and perfect will. Father, put your law in my heart so that I might delight in your law in my inner being. So for our third point, we look to doing our work willingly. We pray, Father, teach us to do your will that we may do our work willingly. In this petition, when we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we are recognizing that here on earth, God's kingdom is not yet what it will be. In heaven, the angels submit to God with due obedience. We sang of that in Psalm 103. They carry out his every command heartily, willingly, immediately. They don't back talk, but they serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. But God's will is also being done in heaven by our Lord Jesus Christ. When he ascended into heaven, he did not discard his threefold office of, as our chief prophet and teacher, our only high priest and our eternal king. Willingly and faithfully, Christ continues to teach us as a prophet through the preaching of his word. As our great high priest, he cleanses us and he makes intercession for us before his father in heaven. And as our king, he governs us and he preserves us by his word and spirit. In Christ's continued ministry of word and spirit, among his peoples, he has in his wisdom placed over us office bearers in the church. Christ continues his work in the church through his office bearers. In 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 12, Paul entreats the Thessalonians to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And then later in verse 25, he says, Brothers, pray for us. So, brothers and sisters, pray for us. That is, pray for those who labor among you as your pastor and as, as elders and as deacons. Pray for those who have been called by Christ to have authority over you in the church, to admonish you, to instruct you and exhort you with the word of God, to direct you in living a life pleasing to God. Pray for them that they would fulfill the duties of their office and calling willingly in the service of Christ, that his, his church would be built up. Pray also for those who are in training to be ministers of the word and missionaries out in the mission field. Pray for missionaries. Pray for their work that as they proclaim the gospel to the world, that Christ's church would be gathered, that his word would go out and that his spirit would be at work. But praying the third petition does not just involve praying for the special offices in the church. It is a prayer that we and all men would willingly 
and faithfully do the will of the Father in carrying out the duties of our general office as Christians. Not all of us have an office in the church, but we all have the office of Christian. As members of Christ, we share in his anointing as prophets, priests, and kings. It is a prayer that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we would boldly confess the name of Christ within the congregation of his people here, but also out before the world, before all people. A prayer that we would offer ourselves as a living sacrifice of thankfulness to God in true and sincere obedience. And a prayer that we would fight against the power of sin and the devil. The power of temptation that rises in our own hearts. This general office of, that all Christians have is not, not something that gets relegated to life in church, however. In our reading from 1 Thessalonians 4, in verses 9 through 12, Paul commends his readers for their brotherly love. And he urges them to show love more and more. A timeless exhortation for our own day as well, to grow and to abound and abound in love towards our brothers and sisters in the Lord. But Paul goes on, and he also urges them. He says, Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Paul doesn't want the believers in Thessalonica to be sitting on their hands, waiting around for the return of Christ as they were doing, so that Christ would come back and then they can really get on with what the kingdom is actually about. No, Paul instructs them. He says, get to work. Work with your hands. Live quietly. Mind your own affairs and be at peace with all men. And so there's a a lesson in this for us today. Sometimes we can make a distinction, even without thinking about it, between so-called kingdom work on the the one hand and non-kingdom work on the, the other hand. We hear or even say things like, it's such a blessing to be involved in Christ's actual kingdom work. Or I feel like God is calling me to do something more for his kingdom than what I'm already doing now. We almost have this sense that what God really cares about is church work. And he doesn't really pay that much attention He doesn't really care that much about what goes on in the daily grind of everyday life, of waking up in the morning and and going to work or going to school. Maybe some of the, the mothers here will know what I'm talking about. Perhaps you feel exhausted and and dragged down by your calling as a mother. Constantly cleaning up after the kids and making dinner, dragging the kids off to school and this thing and the, and the next thing. Or those in the workforce, the, the teachers at school, wiring houses and, and framing walls, mudding drywall, running the numbers for the business or doing chores on the farm. Maybe it all just seems a bit dull and tiresome. Maybe I feel... Like my work is not valuable to the Lord. Maybe you think, 
I'm not living up to my true potential for the cause of Christ. I need to do something more for his kingdom. And this is an understandable sentiment, especially when we truly desire to do God's will and to serve him. We can think that our daily work just doesn't count for that much because it's not so-called kingdom work. And let me be clear, there's no doubt that the desire to be called to fill a special office in the church or to use our gifts to serve the church as a living and active member is certainly commendable. But brothers and sisters, let us avoid making this distinction between kingdom work and non-kingdom work. For Paul's instruction to the Thessalonians is for them to serve the Lord to walk in obedience before him, to live peaceable lives, going about their day job, working diligently with their hands, serving their neighbor. In other words, he says, carry out the duties of your office and calling willingly and faithfully, for this too is work in God's kingdom. And so what does that look like? It looks like Studying hard and working diligently on assignments, regardless of whether you feel like it or not. That goes for the children in elementary school as well for the young adults in university. It means doing your day job to the best of your ability. Working as for the Lord and not as for men. It means showing hospitality and and love to your brothers and sisters just by sharing a meal or giving someone your undivided attention, a listening ear to, to, to hear them. It means spending time with family, loving them and caring for them, instructing them, being a godly example to them in the day-to-day rhythms and duties of life. In short, we can say that it means living a life in the fear of the Lord, doing all things in the fear of the Lord, walking before him and desiring to live in obedience to his covenant demands. But how can we do this? How can we do our work willingly and faithfully? How can we remember every day as we we go to work or we go to school, how can we we remember that we are serving the Lord and his kingdom. Well, only by calling on God, our Father, in faith, asking, asking him to teach us his will through his word, to lead us by his Holy Spirit, to deny our own wills and to obey his good and perfect will. Asking him for his spirit to deny our own wills, and to obey his good and perfect will. And if we ask him in faith, God will do it. He says he will. Just listen in closing and and be encouraged by this promise from 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Let us pray. Our heavenly God and Father, we come before you and we ask you, Lord, teach us to do your will. Father, we ask that you would help us by your spirit to turn away from our own will, that we would deny our sinful hearts and that we would direct our whole life towards your will, which you have revealed in your word. Father, write your law on our hearts Renew us by your spirit to have a love and a delight to serve you in all things. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us as we go from here in this week, that we would do all our work willingly and faithfully as to the Lord and not unto men. Lord, so that you alone would be glorified. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.